So I want to start our message this morning by uh, making one last announcement. Um, We are starting a new group called the Facility Task Force. And all that this group does is gets together on Saturdays. It might be in the morning sometimes. It might be in the afternoon. And uh, we're just going to we're just going to pick some low-hanging fruit uh, around the facilities. Um, so you might think uh, this is about the building, and it is, but it's not really. Uh, it's about what God is building. God has been building a people ever since the very beginning. Ever since we fell, he's been restoring and building a people. And so what we want to do is uh, use, this, use these projects as a way to build community. And uh, Roger Pearson is going to head this up. Um, so if you think you aren't going to be useful in any way, even to paint walls, um, uh, I'm not really that useful either. I'm not that handy, but Roger makes me more handy. Roger makes me useful. So Roger, can I embarrass you and have you stand up just so people know who you are? He's got a name tag too. So, uh, that's Roger and Roger, I'm really glad that you've said yes to just head this up. Cause honestly, it drains me. I, I don't like thinking about buildings or working on them or painting walls or any of that. But what's more important than the project is people. And Roger does, at least with me, as he's led me through different projects around here, uh, he's done a really good job of keeping first priority first, people before projects. So I just want to invite you to consider that. If if you are on our church-wide email, you have an email in your inbox. uh, If you check your email, um, it's, it's there. And if you don't have an email in your inbox, it's because you're not on our churchwide email. So you can take a little slip of paper from the pew in front of you and put that in the offering. If you want to just be included, I don't send out emails often, but when things like this arise, like we're going to do it monthly, I'll just let you know, hey, next month it's from nine to one or whatever. And we're going to serve lunch or breakfast or whatever we do. So anyways, just a heads up. Um, So now I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to be covering 83 verses today. Woo! (laughs) Um, So the way that we're going to do it is we're going to stick to the forest. We're not going to get lost in the trees. I'm not going to read all 83 verses. Uh, We'd be here for a really long time. So, uh, but... And, 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 and I'm not going to lie, this is another passage of scripture that when I read through my Bible uh, in my quiet times, like, it's kind of boring and dry. But all scripture is useful. All scripture is useful so that the man of God, the woman of God, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we're going to put that scripture to the test today and study Nehemiah 11 and 12. Um. I want to remind you uh, that the theme of Nehemiah that we've seen is restoring brokenness. First, in the first six chapters, we saw the brokenness of the wall restored. Like this wall was broken down. It was the city's defense. And uh, the people were in great despair. The people's spirits were broken. And so God made a way for Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. But the, the story doesn't end at chapter six. In fact, it continues on. Uh, till the end of chapter 13. And so, so he's doing more than restoring a wall. He's, he's, he's seeking to be used by God to restore a people, to, to restore broken relationship. And all of this is done in the context of community. So uh, today we're going to see that God 
is looking to build a people, and there's four ways, four points that we're going to see that he does this in, in, the, in this passage. So I, I kind of tried to put 83 verses into seven words. So here is my seven-word sentence summary of these two chapters. Um, right there. Uh, God is building a people by leading them into the future and celebrating what is, what is best. So leading into the future, celebrating the best. Um, so let's just jump right in. Here, the, first, the first point, the first way that God is building a people is through leaders. And we see this in all of chapter 11. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's hit the pause button on chapter 11 because we have to rewind another really boring chapter. For, I'm just speaking frankly. Chapter 7. Chapter 7 was when the wall was finished. Do you remember the first thing that Nehemiah wanted to do? He wanted to repopulate the city because what good is a great defense system if you don't have people behind it, right? And there weren't a lot of people living in this ransacked city that had been desecrated through war and uh, th- through the, the people being exiled. It had been abandoned for years. And so Nehemiah wants to repopulate the city and he challenges them, hey, remember our ancestors who first moved back here? Remember them? We remember their legacy as, one, as ones who sacrificed for our good and for God's glory. What are you going to do? That, that was kind of the implicit challenge of chapter 7. And so now let's pick up and, and hit the play button on chapter 11. Verse 1 says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So the people who responded to Nehemiah's challenge in chapter 7, they were the ones who lived in Jerusalem. They were leaders. But the rest of the people, they cast lots. They needed more than just the volunteers to live in Jerusalem, so they cast lots, and one out of every ten had to go live in Jerusalem because they drew the short straw. <laughs> um, and uh, then chap- uh, in verse 2 of chapter 11, it says, And the people blessed all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So this, this large ruined city that required renovation to live in uh, it, it, it took leaders to step up and say, yeah, we are willing to go and continue restoring the, the brokenness in this city. And, uh, and then the rest of chapter 11, all Nehemiah does is he lists the census of who moved in. Who, who were those leaders? Who did step up? And he names them by families and he counts them. And he also acknowledges the rest of God's people. They were still God's people. They didn't step up. They were still God's people, um, but he doesn't list them. He doesn't count them. And so throughout this, kind of bringing it back into our day now, uh, throughout this Nehemiah series, we've been trying during announcements. I don't know how well we've done uh, or how well I've done, um, but we've been trying to commend you all who serve. Like we have a very high percentage of people who attend here, who serve here, uh, and that's part of just being a young church, but it's also, I think, a really great opportunity for us to grow as a church into that type of DNA, that that's who we are. Uh, we're all plugging in, we're all pulling weight and playing our role. Um, but but I, just wanna, I just wanna appreciate and commend you if, if you didn't feel appreciated or commended before. <laughs> um, it's a really, really good thing that you're doing and it doesn't earn you any extra favor with God, of course. Nothing can make God love you anymore, but God 
wants to use you and your life and your time and your service to accomplish his purposes. So uh, I hope you feel commended by me and by the other people who have communicated during announcements, but I, I want you to know your ultimate commendation, the ultimate blessing is going to come at the end when Jesus returns. And uh, God will not forget your work. He will not forget the way that you loved him by helping his people. So uh, they were, the, the leaders back then were commended. Leaders still today, they ought to be commended. And leaders also ought to be multiplied. It's the great need of the church. It was the great need of Israel. Nehemiah knew he could not bring about God's purposes on his own. He needed to appoint and to empower and to multiply leaders. That's still what the world needs today, is great leaders. Leaders of kids, leaders of businesses, leaders in education. God is looking to restore the world through leaders. And ultimately, it's not just you, it's ultimately Jesus who's at work through us. So that's, that's the first part. That the way is God, that God is building a people is, is leading. But the next part shows that they and we are being led into the future. So now I'm in chapter 12. But we got probably 27 verses knocked out right there. So good work. You're hanging in there. Uh, this is point two, being led into the future. I, I think this is really interesting. Nehemiah starts chapter 12 by going back to Zerubbabel, and recording a lineage of their leaders, the priests and the Levite, the spiritual leaders of God's people back then, he records a lineage. And so he's starting with Zerubbabel, who led the first wave back. So I think the next slide is where we're at. Uh, there we go. Yeah. So there were three kind of waves of people, uh, to put it in modern day terms, like God put, had to put his people in time out, like kick them out of the land for a long time, and he promised, hey, this time out is not going to be forever. I'm going to bring you back because I love you, and I have plans and purposes for you. And the first wave back was led by Zerubbabel, who was about 100 years before Nehemiah. He was the Nehemiah before Nehemiah. And Joshua, in the bold, was not the guy who fought the Battle of Jericho, but he was a high priest. And after Joshua came Joachim, who I put it in that box just because I wanted you to be able to read it, but it was really not quite during Ezra's time. It was before Ezra's time. And then Eliashib is the high priest during Nehemiah's time. You're like, okay, whatever. This is a lot more interesting than actually reading chapter 12, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I read it a lot just to be able to explain that. Um, sorry, uh, I'm getting distracted. Eliashib was the high priest during the time of Nehemiah. And here's what Nehemiah does. He records all of these leaders, a lineage, okay? And he records the priests and the Levites who served under these guys who were like the top dog spiritual leaders of their particular time frames. And here's what he does. Th this is what I noticed as I studied. He records by name, okay, get the, by name, the Levites and the priests during the first two. Okay, by name. He records Levites who served with Joshua, priests who served with Joshua, Joachim, priests and Levites who served with him. But when it comes to Eliashib, who was Nehemiah's contemporary, he says this in verse 22. As for the Levites, 
the heads of fathers' households were registered in the days of Eliashib, and then his son Joedah, and then his son Johanan, and then his son Jadua. So were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. So the, the Levites and the priests during Eliashib's reign, and then four generations after, that they were recorded. No names. And I've read the book, the end of Nehemiah, and I think I know why. <laughs> he is not tired of listing names. He lists tons of names in this book. Nehemiah is not just getting, you know, weary of writing. I think he's distancing himself, and, and in the reader's eyes, the, the, the people who read this story, he's distancing them, because and, and that's not a story worth repeating. Eliashib and the people who followed after him. It's not a story worth repeating. And in so doing, and you might wonder, what made Eliashib so bad? Come back next week. <laughs> Come back next week. But he's distancing himself, and he's challenging the reader. And he's challenging the reader to say, what's your lineage going to be? Very similar to what he does in chapter 12, when he goes back to the lineage, he's saying, what is your legacy going to be? What will you be remembered for? How will you exercise your influence? And that question, that those lists don't, you know, do a lot to immediately resonate with us today. But that question, that ought to register with each one of us today. Who is in your spiritual ancestry? Who's in your biological ancestry, for that matter? And what influence have they had on your life? And in whose ancestry are you? What influence are you exerting onto the lives of people around you? This is a very biblical concept, and it, it reaches into the New Testament. Here's one example, 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul says to Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to reliable men who will be able, to, who will be able and qualified to teach others. So there's this implicit responsibility, if you're a follower of Christ, that if you're not helping others to follow Christ, what do you mean when you say you're following Christ? Because Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So there's this implicit responsibility to entrust to others who will be qualified and able to entrust the faith and relationship with God onto others as well. And you might think, well, I'm so busy at work or I'm so busy as a stay-at-home mom, uh, I just can't do it like that person or that person does it. And I, I mean, Billy Graham and his life and legacy, I, I won't do it like that. But the principle is the same. It'll look different in all of our spheres, in all of our contexts, but that principle of investing your life into others for the sake of Christ, that, that is the same. It's the same now as it was in Nehemiah 12. And each generation is responsible for ourself following Jesus and to invest in the next generation to pass the baton. So again, kind of going back to commending people, like, I know it's hard to spend an hour with kids who aren't yours. I've done it. <laughs> it's hard. But it's not worthless. It's actually a very worthy endeavor. If you're doing that to bless the parents 
which there are four people downstairs right now doing that to bless you all and to bless their parents and to partner in investing in the lives of those kids. So it's a thing worth commending. Uh, investing in the, in the next generation. I, some of you, you might be thinking, gosh, this is just a crushing weight of guilt and shame coming down on me. I really hope and pray, like that's the devil. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just tell you, that's the devil if, that, if, if it's crushing with shame and guilt. Um, but I hope and pray that Christ would cast a compelling vision for you of investing in the next generation because it is a compelling vision. It, it's living a life uh, that counts to the utmost. So you might, you might wonder how, like just get down to the ground level, Ben. How does that happen? How does God bridge the gap? How does he pass the baton from one generation to the next? How can we move from, you know, Joshua to Joachim back to Joshua rather than to Eliashib and, you know, all the bad stuff we're going to see in chapter 13. How can we, how can we successfully keep passing the baton? Relationship. Jesus said, here's the most important rule or commandment in the whole Bible. Love the Lord your God with all of your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's, it's quite simple, but it's very profound. Relationships is how you pass the baton. Relationship with God first, and then flowing out of that relationship with other people. So if you don't have that relationship, if you're not sure, uh, it's very simple. You can start it today. It's going to be profound, but it's also simple. You just re- you repent, which is a way of saying you change your direction. <laughs> you, you've been living life your way, being your own leader, and you're like, enough of this. I don't want to be my own leader anymore. I don't want to, you know, hope that I can make things good enough. I want to turn around and I want to follow Jesus. And you don't, you don't even have to follow Jesus perfectly. You just have to follow him consistently. You have to be committed to following him. So, so you turn away from yourself and Jesus is your leader. But when you mess up and you, you don't follow him as you ought to, you turn to him and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Please help me. And then you get back on the path. So he's your savior. He's the one who forgives your sins. And he's your Lord, the one who leads you. And so you can do that right now. Say yes in your heart, Jesus, I want to follow you. And then tell someone after the service. There is no degree required. There's no amount of Bible knowledge that you need to become a Christian or to start following Jesus and and to pass that baton. So, yeah, I just encourage you to do that today if, if you're sitting on the fence Jesus, man, he loves you more than I can tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, you're just, just waiting for you to come. The third, the third way that we, saw, that we see God building a people is through celebration. And, and in the latter half of chapter 12, they dedicate the wall. But, man, I, they're celebrating. They're like, dedicate and celebrate. Um, you might not get the same picture in your mind, but when I read this, when, when you read chapter 12, you, you do get this picture. So I'm going to read a little bit of it to you, starting in verse 27. They write, uh, or Nehemiah writes, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the people, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate 
the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs and cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the singers were assembled, and uh, the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people, they purified the gates and the wall. And then Nehemiah had some leaders go up the top of the wall one way, and then he had some leaders go up the top of the wall the other way. And uh, it probably looked something like this. Can you feel the celebration in this picture? Well, you can't really see it. Oh, well. (laughs) It's a bunch of like little people like on top of the wall. They look little, but like the the whole city, there's there's people everywhere and they're singing. And and, and what it says here in uh, verse 43, it says, on that day, they offered great sacrifices and they rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that, Okay, hear hear this last phrase. The joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. They were making a ruckus of celebration. It was a passionate, loud celebration. Did not look like most Baptist churches. Okay. They were a happy folk. And it just got me thinking of Nehemiah's greatest downfall, which was the nations around who surely heard the ruckus because they were kind of camping out, waiting for, waiting for their chance to pounce. They were, they were their enemies. But man, that, what, what a great tool. If, if, you, if evangelism makes you uncomfortable, um, you're like most of us, and, or all of us. <laughs> but uh, telling other people about Jesus, man, it, it should come out of this joy that we have, that Jesus loves us, that he has saved us, and that he's pursuing others. Um, Nehemiah's downfall was that he didn't really direct the people to love their enemies, but uh, this would have been a great opportunity to do so. Um, because we, today, we, we also should, and, and we really can be marked by gladness. Paul writes in Philippians 4, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. And... Uh, Honestly, when I thought about celebration being one of God's tools to build a people, to build community, uh, frankly, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at celebrating. Um, But it's something I'd like to get a whole lot better at. So uh, we're going to, we're going to, we have a lot to to celebrate and we're going to try to celebrate (laughs) on May 6th. Just have lunch as a churchwide celebration and we'll have some other things going on. Um, but I just kind of wanted to put that on your radar as we were talking about celebrating. If you're able to make it that day, uh, we'd love to have you. And w- more details forthcoming as it draws closer. But uh, c- celebrating is, is hard for a lot of people because you might think, well, I'm really not that happy and I don't feel like I have that much to celebrate. Um, and, and what I see in scripture is first, God knows, he, he knows your sadness. He knows that it's not always happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> um, at the same time, our choices do affect our emotions. So keep, if, if you are making good choices, keep making good choices of obedience to Christ and trust that passion will follow. Obedience comes before passion often. And this was the case in Nehemiah's day. First they were obedient, 
They chose to obey even when they wanted to just throw a pity party. And then passion came later. And then also, if, if you're struggling, or if you struggle to celebrate, uh, who is or who will be celebrating with you? You only celebrate with people who you've walked through brokenness with. Does that make sense? Like they walked through, th- this community, they walked through brokenness together. They walked through despair and sleepless nights and hard times. And so when you get to a place of celebration, and it's not a place of perfection, <laughs> but a place where it's like, we have made progress, this is worth celebrating, you should really consider now, before you get there, you should consider now, who do I want to celebrate with me? Because they need to be let in to my brokenness. I need to trust them with my hurt so that they can celebrate the work of restoration that God is doing. And so we've seen leading into the future and and celebrating. And, And now the last way that God builds a people is you celebrate what's very best. And I think that in their exuberance, the Israelites kind of missed, it seems like they missed what was best. Like they just got caught up in the, in the party. Uh, look at what Nehemiah says in the end of verse 45. Uh, Judah rejoiced. This is, Judah is another way of saying God's people. They rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who served. So again, they're commending their leaders and those who served, and that's good. But then look at this. For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel, about a hundred years ago, and in the days of Nehemiah, which was then, they gave portions that they gave to the singers and to the gatekeepers, and they set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites, and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. So you might think, okay, uh, how did they miss it with that? Well, last week we talked about their commitments that they made in chapter 10. And they're fulfilling their commitments now. And what they're thinking is, dude, we're we're living in the glory days. We're we're doing, like, it hasn't been this good since David was on the throne. Or a hundred years ago when Zerubbabel led us back. Like, we are living in the good old days. This is awesome. And, uh, and when, we, when you have, like, I just think human nature, when you have that type of mentality, you're setting yourself up for a fall. And I've, enjoy, like, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last 18 months as a church, but this passage, it, uh, it brought to mind this conviction that I want to I hold now and I want to hold every single day and I, I need help to hold it. Small group, close friends. But here's my, here's my conviction. The best is yet to come. The best really is yet to come. It's not just a catchy song lyric. It's biblical truth. Because by God's grace, we will only grow in, in, our, in our walk with him. We will only grow. I, I mean, I'm not saying we're, we're not going to sin. Yeah, we're, we're going to dip in that chart up and to the right. So here's what I mean. Show that chart. Yeah. I, I've explained this uh, about a dozen times, but I'm going to keep coming back to it because it helps me. Uh, when John, when you gave your life to Christ, 
like he shared with us this morning, he went from being a non-Christian to a Christian. And once you cross that threshold, there's nothing you can do to, to lose God's favor. But it's not over. You're not just twiddling your thumbs until Jesus comes back or you die. You actually get to experience Christ increasingly so in the present. And it's an up and down, it's, it's an up and down process, just like that's an up and down line. But when you're a slave to sin, sin will always be your master. But when you become a Christian, sin is no longer your master. Jesus is. So we can grow into Christ-like character. And, and, and in fact, I mean, we should. The only reason we wouldn't is because we're not a willing party, <laughs> okay? And so we can flatline. <laughs> we can flatline on our growth. And it's just, it's not a good place to be, nor does it lead to good end results. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. It just means that you're missing out on the life that Jesus came to bring. You're missing out on seeing him move in your life and through your life. And so the best days really are yet to come. Because whether I live for another 60 years and I just slowly move up and to the right as I walk with God and walk with people, or if Jesus comes or if I die soon, uh, either way, I'm going up. Like, I, I am, I, I'm, I'm secure and I know that I'm going to be with the Lord whether it's in the body or outside of the body. I'll be with the Lord. And so the best really is yet to come. And when, when we live like that, when we believe the conviction that our best days are yet to come, that changes us. We become a more resilient people, which means hard times come, suffering comes, and... We stay steady, not because of us, but because of Christ. So in conclusion, God is forming a people. He's building a people, not a wall, not a building, not painting walls. He's using those things, but he's really focused on building a people. And he does this by leading them into the future and celebrating what's best. So let's, let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for me to focus on the now and immediate gratification, immediate uh, wanting to see immediate results. I pray that you would fix my mind and our mind on eternity. and on you. God, we, we want to celebrate mile markers, but we want to celebrate what's best, and, and you, there's, there's nothing, there's no one ever better than you. You came in the flesh, fully God, fully man, in the person of Jesus, lived a blameless and perfect life, which I just can't even fathom.
from personal experience I can't fathom. And then you freely gave up that life on the cross in a brutal and agonizing death. You did that because you loved us. And you're not dead. You're alive. You rose back to life on the third day, just like you said. And now you are reigning as king, and you will reign forever. So help us, God, to join you in what you're doing. Help us to be led by you.